Hey. I was going to ask you to do the second song, then you played that first, the, the second song. I was going to ask you to do the first song, then you played the second song, so you, you can do one of those after we finish. <laughs> Good evening. We're starting a new book. Uh, we'll be in Ezra this evening, and Ezra, this is my first time teaching Ezra here. It's the, it's the post-exile book, one of the uh, first post-exile books that went to the children of Israel after they had came back from the 70-year captivity. The first six chapters in Ezra records the return of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and they brought back 50,000 people with them, Israelites, and a fraction of the number that was there. Nehemiah would be uh, also... He will come on the scene 100 years after this, after God's people are restored. And the theme of Ezra is really restoration, a restoration of a nation, restoration of a people, and certainly speaking, under Manasseh, we remember him, God saying, because of the sin of Manasseh, judgment will come. God being faithful to his word, judgment did come. And we have to understand, since we go through so many things in this life as Christians, pride can take us down, but there's always a way of restoration. Ezra names means help. And this is a great picture of the nation of Israel being drawn back to the land. God will always draw his people, call his people back. If you remember, the theme in Daniel is God is God, and that raises up even the basis of men. And the tension, it still is and will always be in the Middle East. Esther, we just finished that book, was a woman, and we owe our existence to her, the Israelites can say. There isn't anything that's out of control today. It may seem like it, but God is on his throne, and he has everything in order. But we need to know that God looks over us. He's always looking at us. He takes care of us. And it's the same God that took care of the children of Israel, even when they were in Babylonian uh, captivity. When men's hearts fail, the Bible says, then they fear God. So this is an incredible picture that is put before us. And it begins by saying in verse 1 of chapter 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, verse 2, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house, at Jerusalem, which is Judah. That's a fascinating picture that God would pick Cyrus. There's a, there's a, I can't think of the word right now. They go back and forth on whether Cyrus was a believer or was he not. I haven't made up my mind yet. It's amazing that God would use Cyrus and I know at the beginning, if he became a believer, he wasn't a believer at the beginning, but God uses him. 
and he gets a lot of things accomplished by him. He had Ezekiel, he had Daniel, and put him next to Nebuchadnezzar. And now it seems we have another earthly leader who is finally worn down by God, who at least to some degree had a little light of what needs to take place. And it says here in verse 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, Cyrus had been in power for about 20 years now at this point in time that he conquered Babylon. And this is, this is then the first year of his reign as sovereign over the, this part of the world. And the habit of the Assyrians and the Babylonians were to take people captive. When they conquered the land, they allowed their captives to go back to the land. They would acknowledge that you have a historical reality in these names. So verse 1 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that it might be fulfilled, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. This proclamation was that the Jews could return back to their land. God has spoken in Jeremiah chapter 25, 12 through 13. He says, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. Jeremiah 29.10 tells us, Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel tells us he was praying regarding the nation of Israel. So Ezra 1 says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also he put it in writing saying, let God himself, this is what he's wanting to know, tell what's going on, because with all of the religious books on the earth, there's not one religious book that t gives you prophecy. God is saying, hey, I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning because I am God and I'm outside of time. Not the Koran, not any other religious books does that. He says in Isaiah 41.4, who has performed and done it? Calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first and with the last, I am he. Isaiah 41, 21 through 23 says, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. He says, I am who I say that I am, what took place from the beginning. That way we will know God is standing outside of time. All of this stuff about these psychics, the psychics hotline, I forget the lady who used to be on TV all the time. 
And, uh, but this is what Isaiah 48, 42.8 says. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. God does all of this because he doesn't want any human being to be lost. That's why he does it. That's why all of the other religious books can't tell the, uh, the future, can't tell you the past, what has happened. God stands outside of time, and he boasts in that, and he's letting the world know, the, the, the world of humanity know that I am God. Put your trust in me. He says in Isaiah 44, 6 through 7, thus says the Lord, and of course, that's his name, Yahweh, the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Beside me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people, speaking of Israel, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. He says in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, amen, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. No other religious books can do that. He says in Isaiah 44, 28 through 28, 40, 24 through 28, thus says the Lord your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the sign of babblers, all those who say they know what's going to happen, and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. Remember, they were all broken down, nothing but ashes there. He tells them this. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid." One more, Isaiah 45, 1 through 4 says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed. He's speaking of Cyrus here, who I'm sure is not a believer at the time, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings. I don't like that translation, and that's from the New King James. The, the, I know the King James says, loosen the loins of kings, and that's what happened to Belshazzar when he was throwing that wild party, and he brought the, the vessels of gold and the vessels of silver and began to drink out of them. God had said it was going to happen, and God had told them what would happen if he did that, to open before him the two double doors. While they were partying, we know the story, the Persians go in and they unlock the doors, and they go in and surprise them so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness. 
People, especially Masons, like to use that. Or oh, we're just studying deep, dark things. But you have to read that in context. He was speaking of what was going on now. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord who call you by your name, I am the God of Israel for Jacob, my servant's sake and Israel, my elect. I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. Josephus tells the story when Cyrus comes into Babylon He tells them, and you will make a decree that the Jews could return to their land and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, I read all those verses so we can go back to Ezra verse 1, because God has told them what would happen. Now he proves it. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying. It's as if Cyrus is making these proclamations and making all these decrees, and he really doesn't know why, but God has stirred up his spirit so he would show Israel favor. He says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I'm reminded of David when he built a house, a lover of God, loved Jesus Christ. And uh, you wonder, it was more godly men out there. Why would God pick Cyrus, a heathen, at least at the time, to build him a house? He said, to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. God is making a way of restoration for his people. Verse 2 says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. We can look at the threat of the economy these days and the political scene that's going on, but God is sovereign and he rules over all those things, making a way for God's people to come back to his ancient homeland. And we have to understand we're in a greater covenant. If God overseen the children of Israel in the Old Testament the way he did, and we're in a better covenant, how much more will he look after us? He says in verse three, who is among you of all his people May his God be with him and let him go to Jerusalem. And this is Cyrus saying, God has moved on his heart. I want you guys to go to Jerusalem, which is Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Cyrus doesn't force anyone to go. They've been locked up in Babylon for 70 years, and they had gained a lot of things. And this wasn't an easy trip. The vast majority of the Jews, they stayed right where there was. Cyrus tells them in verse 4, And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 5, then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin 
He will be called the Shezbazar, speaking of, uh, <clears throat> can't think of his name right now, speaking of uh, Joshua, but a Babylon name is, is given to him, and it means governor. He's never seen the walls of Jerusalem. He's never seen the temple. It's been torn down. They wanted something deeper, and it has to do with the pilgrimage. They're, they're going on this pilgrimage, and the same, really the same pilgrimage that we're on. You know, I, I think of so many churches, and we need to really get back to the word of God, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're studying in verse, verse Corinthians. We need to get to the center of what we believe. When the church, and when the church gets back to the cross and the power of the gospel, I think there'll be revival. He says in verse 5, then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirit God had moved. Notice it said, and that's really stirred. It's the same word, Oreb. So the same word he used for Cyrus moving in his spirit, he's also moving the children of Israel, a few of them. So he moved, arose to go up and build the house of, of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 6. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold. So if they didn't go, Cyrus had said, hey, give them something to carry. So they got silver and gold with goods and livestock and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. Verse 7, King Cyrus also brought out, of the, brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. This is a remarkable statement right here. To rebuild the first altar and the temple. That's what they're going to. Verse 8 says, And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters. This is, shows you how exacting God is a great bookkeeper. He says, uh, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives. The knives have never been used to cut a throat of an ox or a lamb or a sheep. Never had blood on them, and they're lying there, and God remembers. He says in verse 10, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of, of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shezbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. You know what I just did? If y'all don't know, I can keep going. <laughs> I'm going to go back for a minute. I just want to see where I want to pick it up at. Because I missed, I missed a lot. You can listen to what I said and, and fill your heart with this. <laughs> he drives out his people. That's what God is going to do. He casts them out but he didn't cast them off. This is the book of restoration. God cast them out, 
but he did not cast them off. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He may cast out, but he doesn't cast off. And I'm so thankful of that. Even under the lash, God remembers his covenant people. And we are under a greater covenant because they're his people, because he is a God of covenant. And he makes a way of return for everyone who falls away, who backslides. God makes a way of return. And I think it's important for all of us to understand because we go through things in this life. We go cold-hearted sometimes. We, we become desensitized sometimes. Pride can take us down. We'll sin, we'll fall into something, and it's a terrible thing. But there is an open door because God keeps that open door. There's a way of restoration. That's what Ezra, the book of Ezra, is about. And it's so much clearer for us because we're living under the new covenant. So many times if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And the process of it, it's as true today as it was in Ezra's time. I told you before, Ezra names means help. And certainly he has a great statue among the Jews. And in the history of Israel, most people believe that he's the father of the synagogue. He started that up while he, they were in Babylon. He started the Sanhedrin up while they were in Babylon. And he put all of that together with the scriptures. And he made, Ezra made the canon. So much of what Israel possessed today is due to Ezra. And this is a great picture of the nation being drawn back to the land. God doesn't want anyone because of any sin to say, just like, just like the prodigal son, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care. God proves himself and he shows his, himself here calling a people who had become lackadaisical, didn't even care really much anymore. If they ever went back, they were doing well, but God moves in Cyrus's heart and his beings. And then he moves in more of the people and he stirs up a hunger for them to go back to a land. And we have to remember, it's nothing but ruins there. He puts it in their hearts to return because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, I am the Lord. I change not. He says in Malachi, therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. We live in a world where tension is always in the Middle East, where this is, this is taking place. Israel is in the Middle East and all of the hostilities that goes on there. I'm reminded, it's about two years, well, before the other prime minister came aboard, Netanyahu, who's back in place now, but he was having a press conference in Israel. And he said, the only reason that we are here today is because of a woman. He was celebrating women's right. He said Esther was a woman, and that's the only reason we would be here. And that just shows us that God's timetable is on track. He's sitting on his throne. No matter what's going on in this world, it doesn't take him by surprise. He knows what we're going through, and he's there for us. And if we can really look at what Ezra says here to us, those who return from captivity, we can take heart this evening. There isn't anything that's out of control. We're headed into days where no doubt it's going to be great tension. We're headed into days where the Bible tells us at Jerusalem 
is going to be a cup of trembling, I think it says, and a stumbling stone to all nations of the world. The Middle East and you and I need to know that God is in control this evening, and he loves us, and he takes care of us. He's the same God that has always looked over us his covenant people. And we are, once again, we are under a better covenant. He always made a way for them to gather close to him. He's always worked on their behalf and always will. He doesn't change. And one of the great pictures of that is when we get in the book of Ezra. Of course, there's many historical things, but I happen to believe tonight, Michael, the archangel and Gabriel, they're doing their jobs. God's sovereign hand is moving, that there is no political situation that is out of control, not even today. And we need to get a hand on that. Again, our calling is not a magisterial calling. It's not for magisterial reform. It's about the king of God, the kingdom of God. And if we don't get that straight, we will miss incredible opportunities at Restore. In the days we are living in, Men's hearts will fail, the Bible says, for fear. And we're here to give an answer. That's what we should be here for, to every hope or reason they have. This is an incredible picture that is put before us here. And it begins, verse 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Jeremiah has spoken. The Lord stirred up. The word is or. It means to awaken, to excite. He does that to Cyrus, the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So his purpose, he stirred him up. Why? That he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, verse 2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, The Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. This is a a marvelous picture here. God had Jeremiah in Jerusalem. He had Nebuchadnezzar came there speaking to his ancient people. He had Ezekiel in Babylon near the river Shebar speaking to his people, and he raised up Daniel and put him next to Nebuchadnezzar. He's always working. When Nebuchadnezzar finished mooing and eating grass, he sat upright and said, God is God of all the earth, and he bowed his knee before him. And now it seems like he's doing the same thing with Cyrus. He's wearing him down to some degree, and Cyrus has a little light. I don't know where he gets it from, but he he knows a little about Yahweh. So let's look at verse 1 again. Now in the first year of Cyrus, Cyrus had been in power for 20 years at this point in time. In 559, he had been king of Anshan, and then 559 years later, he conquered the Medo-Persians empire. So he's ruling at this time over Medo-Persia, and it's 539, October 539. He had conquered Babylon, that's important, and this is the first of his reign as sovereign over that part of the world. He makes a decree about the Jews going into Jerusalem. Now, we have to understand the habit of the Assyrians and the Babylonians were to take people captive and then disperse them out of their homeland and to take foreigners and bring them in and put them in the place of the people. That's what they were known for. So even in this, God is dealing with his people and carrying them away. 
He said, they wanted idols. You want to worship idols? I'm going to send you to a place that they don't do anything but worship idols. But Cyrus had a habit. This is where we, we can't understand the mind of God. Cyrus had a habit of repatriating people. When they conquered lands, they allowed their captives to go back to the land. They were taken away from and even rebuilt the temple of their God. So when he sends Israel back, that's not the first time he sends other people back. That's what he would do. God understanding that, that's his history. Historians in schools and in universities, they might be antagonistic toward Christianity, but they have no problem with the reality of the books of the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar, there's a history on him. Sennacherib, there's a history on him. Cyrus, Artaxerxes, we just looked at. They will acknowledge that you have a historical reality in these names. The question is, why did Cyrus adopt the position of allowing people to go back to their land? Because that's what's going to happen. Well, it tells us, verse 1, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, Persia, there was something sovereign that took place, that the word of the Lord, that all of what was taking place in the nations was taking place relative to God's word. It says, by the mouth of Jeremiah, that it might be fulfilled. And God was going to fulfill his word. He always fulfills his word. And he's going to fulfill his word that he's coming back again. It says, so he stirred up, the word is or, he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying that the Jews could return. God has spoken to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25, 12 through 13. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquities, says the Lord. And I will make a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. He says in Jeremiah 29:10, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel t- he, he, he tells the account that he's praying after reading the prophecy of Jeremiah. He began to pray, realizing that 70 years were almost up. He begins to fast and seek the Lord, and that's when Gabriel comes to him and laid out the rest of human history, a remarkable way. To Daniel, in the regard to the nation of Israel and the coming of the Christ and also the coming of the Antichrist and so forth, he says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. One of the other things that he used to stir up Cyrus is Isaiah 41. People, they probably ask you, they ask me all the time, why do you think you have the right religion? And I have to straighten them out. I said, well, it's a relationship first of all. But We're going to let God tell them why we believe this. Isaiah 41, 4 says, who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. Same chapter, verse 21 through 23, 
Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons. I think of all these so-called intellectuals, they won't believe the word of God. He says, bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. I said before, there's no other religious book dare touches prophecy. They cannot do it. They don't even attempt to. And uh, all of God's prophetic uh, reasonings has come to fruition, except for about one when Jesus comes back and that's coming. He says, let them tell you not only the beginning of things, but also tell of the things to come. That way we will know that they are standing outside of time. They are eternal, and they understand the future, and they declared it before it comes to pass. All of this is nonsense. A psychic hotline, and I I used to just laugh at, I forget her name, Mother somebody, but they were always on it late at night, and you'd have the psychic hotlines, and they're talking, send your $10, send whatever you can. Well, this uh, paper newspaper was giving this psychic hotline a business a tough time, and they finally went out of business, and they said they never saw it coming. Isaiah 42, 8 tells us, I am the Lord. I like, I am Yahweh. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell of them. Isaiah 44, 6 and 7 says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. I love that. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I, am appointed, the, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Isaiah 46, 9, 10 says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. None of the other religious books I told you can do that. You need to know, and I I think it's because God is wanting them to understand that I am God. If you go outside of me, if you bow down to anything else, it's going to take you to a bad place. It's going to take you to hell. You need to give me your allegiance. You need to give you you your, your attention. And he has described everything we are seeing today. The ridiculous thing that man is doing with genders, God said there is only two. No one else can say that. He's working, and what, I, what uh, Jeremiah is doing, he's working his way to, the, to Isaiah 44, verse 24 through 28, and this is what it says. This is 150 years before Cyrus was born. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, he knows us. From inception, there's a baby. 
and God knows us. And even at that moment in time, he knows that we're either going to be his or we're not. He says, I am the Lord who makes all things, stretches out the heavens all along. I don't need anyone else. Who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drive diviners mad, who turns wise men backwards and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. When, when there was nothing but ruins, when they thought it would never happen again, God foretold it would happen. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. 150 years before he was born, God had given this prophecy, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Isaiah 45, 1 through 4 tells us, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor, the loins of kings, speaking of Belshazzar, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. That you, He does all this, and he says, that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have... I have even called you by your name and have named you, though you have not known me. I was telling you, Josephus says when Cyrus came into Babylon after conquering the city that an old man named Daniel came out and says, hey, we've been expecting you. And of course, Cyrus probably laughed it off. And he says, no, really, we've been expecting you. You're in the Bible. You, you're, we knew you was coming 150 years ago. And I think that touched Cyrus. It moved his spirit. And he wrote down your name and you, and you would be coming. He says, tell him that God told you your name and that you would serve him. So once again, I don't know if Cyrus gave his life to him, but he had great evidence. Daniel tells him, and you would make a decree that the Jews could return to their land and rebuild Jerusalem, and before you were ever born, that was going to happen. God was going to stir you up to do this. And now we go back to Ezra, and we understand uh, chapter 1 of Ezra when it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, not until he had conquered Babylon, and not until he had ran into Daniel and heard the prophecies of Isaiah, Ezra 1 says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that's the first year Cyrus' victory over Babylon and all the kingdoms at that time were united. Cyrus was lord over all that region that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, King of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth 
the Lord God of heaven has given me. He told me this in Isaiah, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. God's people cast out, but not cast off. God's people cast out, but not cast off. God making a way of restoration for his people. God, the one who knows the end from the beginning, saying things and calling them to pass before they come forth saying, I am God. I am the one who rules the nation. We need to listen. Look at the world we're living in. Look at the threat of of the economy and the political scene, the shenanigans that goes on with all the politics these days, but God is still on his throne above all this, and all of these are subject to him and his sovereignty. Do man have a free will? Yes, he has a free will, but God is sovereign, and he overrules that at times. Here is the most powerful man in the world, and he's being moved by God's hand making a way for God's people to come back to his ancient homeland, the same God who is moving in our behalf today. And we're in a greater covenant. Verse 3 tells us, who is among you of all his people, not just in Judah, he's speaking of, but all of Israel. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 4 And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So once again, nothing is forced. It's not not even mandatory for them to go back. He doesn't say all of the Jews get out of here. He brings with him 49 to 50,000 Jews. And believe me, that's a fraction of what was there. The rest of them remained in Babylon. They had got so used of making money, eyes on money, and prospering and doing those things. A lot of them even had servants in Babylon, and they just didn't go back. They didn't want to go back. And only a remnant decided to go, and their hearts, God had to stir their hearts to go. And we have to understand this wasn't an easy trip. 900 miles, four to five months through the desert to get to the ruins. They were going to ruins, but they still went. A ruined temple, a ruined city, a heritage, a spiritual heritage that they had, and a lot to rebuild. The vast majority, I told you before, stayed with Cyrus. Verse 4 says, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin, we will find that Zerubbabel was one of them. Zerubbabel, his name means offspring of Babel. He was born in Babylon. He had never seen the temple or its gates, and he still wanted to go. He will be called Sheshbazzar, a Babylonian name meaning governor. But Zerubbabel, the first six chapters are about him returning with the 50,000 people. And we read about that in Zechariah. 
just think he had never been there, would you have gone? You've heard about Jerusalem. You've heard about Israel, but you're doing so well. You're doing so good. Will, will you go or will you, will you not? But this man goes and this group of people with him, making that pilgrimage was a spiritual decision. It wasn't about having a financial nest egg. The people decided they wanted something deeper, and it has to do with the pilgrimage. And that's what we're on. We're on a pilgrimage. God knows. He knows that we are dust, and God allows us. He grants us restoration. That's what this book is about. He brings us back. He understands how to return us, and they're returning The first thing is to do is to go back to where they started. We learned that from Revelation. That's restoration for any of us. And that's the same in every age of God's church. Old Testament to the present. It's about building the altar. They do that next of the Lord. When the church comes back to the word of God and the blood of Jesus Christ to redemption and atonement, to the center of what we believe instead of putting on a show or a concert with the worship and the sanctuary becoming an entertainment center, when the church gets back to the cross of Jesus and the power of the gospel, that's what we're learning in 1 Corinthians, there's something that comes back again. There's restoration. And we will see these steps laid out in the book of Ezra as we move through Ezra and realize restoration It's what God is putting us in front of us here. Verse 5, then the heads of the father's houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all whose spirits God had moved. It's the same word that they use for Cyrus. He moved them. God has stirred them up, their spirit, to go up and build, arose to go up and built the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, all that was willing offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Now, just think of that. All of these years, God says, no, I want you to go in the temple and bring out those articles, those knives that have never cut an animal's throat, those basins that have never caught blood, I've remembered them, and I want those to go with them too. Here is God doing exactly what he said he would do. He's taking a remnant of the vessels and a remnant of the people back to Jerusalem to start the process of what? Of worship, to rebuild the first altar, then the temple, then under Nehemiah, comes the walls. So Cyrus gives them gold and silver vessels that had been stored away. Verse 8, and Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithradath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah, speaking of the provinces where Judah was at the time. Verse 9, this is the number of them. Now, 70 years and longer, God knows what's in the temple, what he has there. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, nine knives, 
30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Shezbazar took with the captives who brought, brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Next week, chapter 2, will go quickly because all he does is read the people who are going. And if God cares that much about a knife and a silver basin and he's wanting them to go, how much more does he want human beings to follow him? I don't care what you've done. I don't care a mistake that you've made. God is a sovereign Lord. He loves his people and there's always an open door to come back to him. He, you're in a covenant with the Lord, and he always calls you back. Let's pray. Father, you are the God of restoration. When you chose us, you knew the end from the beginning. You knew every side step that we might make and, or did make, Lord, and yet you called us anyway. The children of Israel, because of their iniquity, especially Manasseh, you couldn't take it anymore. You said when Manasseh sinned the way he sinned, you guys are going to Babylon. And Manasseh was restored. He became a believer. But there's always consequences to sin. But this book is about restoration. I'm reminded of what Jesus says. A bruised reed or a smoking flax I will not despise. Though the righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. That's the kind of God we serve. An awesome God, a holy God, and he wants us to be holy. And it's up to him to conform us to his image. Lord, would you give us a heart to love you? to sit and, at, and, and, and just listen to you, that we might be conformed to your image more and more, that we might be holy vessels to the Lord. We can only do that by spending time with you, Lord. May we love you more, and may we honor you more. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God, amen.